So I have the blessed opportunity to be preaching today and filling in for Jonathan. Him and his family are in Maine visiting Chris's family, and I can't wait to rub it in that we sang those last two songs. I know personally that he loves them, and I was laughing during A Mighty Fortress because he would be really upset that he was not here for our singing of that. So, and you can help me rub that in as well. All right, today we're in Genesis chapter 40, so if you would open your Bibles to Genesis 40. No matter where you turn in Scripture, what you see page after page after page is what it's like living in a fallen and broken world with sin. Oh, Praiseville. Yeah, we do that, don't we? Do kids want to go to Praiseville? I'm I'm here, though. Okay, all right, whatever. All right, kids, you're dismissed to Praiseville. Orlando's in the back. You're missing out. You won't see me for another few months, probably. All right. Okay. Even more evidence of living in a fallen and broken world. The kids want to go when the word is opened. All right. Yes. So, page after page of Scripture reveals to us and gives us evidence that we are living in a fallen and broken world plagued by sin. And page after page of Scripture, what we see is God's people, His people dealing with that. But not only as they are experiencing it, but as they are struggling with the sin that is within them as well. Genesis is a messy 50-chapter book where page after page we're seeing what it's like for God's chosen people to be living in this world and what it's like. And so we start to see certain themes repeated, uh, certain highs and certain lows that we see just come up again and again and again. And the reason is because... This world is plagued by sin, and we are plagued by sin, and that's true for God's people as well. And we experience that. We see it in Scripture, and we experience that in our own lives. But today, and what we see throughout Scripture, is while we see page after page after page of God's people struggling, what we see at the same time is God working. God accomplishing what He alone can accomplish. And so my prayer today is that we would see God mightily at work, even in the midst of struggles and suffering, and that we would see God at work in our lives, even in the midst of struggles and suffering. So, just remember back, uh, Genesis 37 and 39, as Jonathan was preaching uh, through those chapters and uh, preaching on Joseph's life. So remember back to chapter 37 where we're first introduced to Joseph in full with the the revelations that he has. Joseph is favored by his father Jacob, and he's not afraid to remind everyone of that fact. Uh, He gets essentially a robe or a shirt, some type of garment that, that signifies that he is favored, and he wears it everywhere, always communicated, communicating, I am the favored one. He's quick to speak where maybe he shouldn't speak. He tells of his revelations from the Lord to his brothers and his father and eventually gets rebuked by even his father. He doesn't seem to have much sense to keep quiet. And as a result, he's sold into slavery by his brothers. And then in chapter 39, maybe we start to see Joseph maturing a little. We see that he is rising to promise in e- prominence in Egypt. And so we think, all right, these revelations from the Lord, they're starting to come about. However, as he's prospering, and becoming successful at every turn, he is then wrongly accused and thrown into prison as Potiphar's wife lies about him. But even in prison, 
As we saw last week, there the Lord continues to prosper him and bless him and make him successful. We have the vantage point of being able to, to pull back and see everything, right? We, we grow up, if you've grown up in the church, you grow up with the story of Joseph. And so you're quite familiar, uh, if you know Joseph's story, how this story ends. However, in, in these pages, as these people are living this out, as Joseph is living this out, while he is holding on to the revelations and the word from the Lord, he doesn't see all of this. He's not reading, he's not seeing his life in the context of the greater story. We have that vantage point. He's the one living that, in, living that out day after day after day, exhausting day after exhausting day of being in prison, of suffering and waiting on the Lord, yet seeing the Lord oddly at work even in all of that. And we can imagine how difficult all that must be for him. As he's thrown in prison, he'll remain in prison for some time. We know that a, a good amount of time passes. So what is true? What is going on in Joseph's life? What is the Lord doing? Is the Lord asleep at the wheel? Is he changing his mind left and right with what to actually do with Joseph? Why this suffering? Why this waiting on the Lord? These are the questions that we want to concern ourselves with today. Why does the Lord allow his people to suffer? Why does the Lord allow His people to wait? We certainly won't be able to answer that question fully, but we do want to turn our attention there. And then we want to consider from Genesis 40 this as well. What is Joseph's response to the suffering? What is Joseph's response to this waiting on the Lord? What does he do? How does he handle all of this? So let's read Genesis 40, and then we'll pray and we'll get started. Sometime after this, the cupbearer of the king of Egypt and his baker committed an offense against their lord, the king of Egypt. And Pharaoh was angry with his two officers, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker, and he put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard, in the prison where Joseph was confined. The captain of the guard appointed Joseph to be with them, and he attended them. They continued for some time in custody, and one night they both dreamed, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt, who were confined in the prison, each his own dream, and each dream with its own interpretation. When Joseph came to them in the morning, he saw that they were troubled. So he asked Pharaoh's officers who were with him in custody in his master's house, Why are your faces downcast today? They said to him, We have had dreams, and there is no one to interpret them. And Joseph said to them, Do not interpretations belong to God? Please tell them to me. So the chief cupbearer told his dream to Joseph and said to him, In my dream there was a vine before me, and on the vine there were three branches, as soon as it budded, its blossoms shot forth, and the clusters ripened into grapes. Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, and I took the grapes and pressed them into Pharaoh's cup and placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. Then Joseph said to him, This is its interpretation. The three branches are three days, and three days Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your office, as you shall place Pharaoh's cup in his hand, as formerly, when you were his cupbearer. Only remember me when it is well with you, and please do me the kindness to mention to me Pharaoh, and so get me out of this house. For I was indeed stolen out of the land of the Hebrews, and here also I have done nothing that they should put me into the pit. When the chief baker saw that the interpretation was favorable, he said to Joseph, I also had a dream. There were three cake baskets on my head, and in the uppermost basket there were all sorts of baked food for Pharaoh, but the birds were eating it out of the basket on my head. And Joseph answered and said, This is its interpretation. The three baskets are three days. And three days Pharaoh will lift up your head from you, 
and hang you on a tree, and the birds will eat flesh from you. On the third day, which was Pharaoh's birthday, he made a feast for all his servants and lifted up the head of the chief cupbearer and the head of the chief baker among his servants. He restored the chief cupbearer to his position, and he placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand, but he hanged the chief baker as Joseph had interpreted to them. Yet the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. Let's pray. Most Holy Father, we thank you that in your grace and in your mercy you have given us your word. You and your grace and mercy have caused your works to be remembered and written down for our benefit. And of greatest benefit to us is to see you in the scripture. So would you bless this time with your Holy Spirit? Bless this time accomplishing your perfect will, opening our eyes that we may see you more clearly. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, verses 1 through 4, we see the meeting of the two officers of Pharaoh, the cupbaker and the baker. So we see there in verse 1 that some time has passed since Joseph, since Joseph has been thrown into prison. And remember, he's prospering, he's successful at every turn, yet some time has passed since he's been in prison. So he meets the cupbearer and the baker, and they have been put under Joseph's charge, under his watch, where Joseph is continuing to faithfully do uh, what has been assigned to him to do. <clears throat> so one thing that we want to make note of as we see that the cup baker and the baker are placed under his charge is we see that Joseph is faithfully doing what's been assigned of him to do. What's easy for so many of us and what's so easy for myself and what could be easy for Joseph is this. As Joseph has been in prison for some time and will continue to be in prison for some time, Joseph could be experiencing this waiting, this suffering unjustly, and he could just go off into the corner and sulk there, discontent, frustrated with the Lord and what the Lord is doing or not doing in his life. He could not be working faithfully. He could be impatient, or he could be over-scheming, trying to hatch a plan to get out of the situations that he's in. One of the things that we see him doing is he continues to be faithful, continues to be obedient. Instead of showing himself to be continuing to be self-centered and immature, he rather shows integrity and character and perseverance and faithfulness to the tasks that he has been appointed. And that's extremely convicting to someone like me as I'm wanting to be moving and going and doing in life. Times in my life where the Lord has me waiting, those are times where I'm struggling whether I'm waiting through times of school in the past or, or struggling with what to do in career or job or struggling in relationships or struggling with issues of health, whether in myself or in family members, struggling with waiting, I'm so tempted to withdraw from the Lord, to go sulk in the, sulk in the corner, to neglect the Word, to run away from the Word, wanting nothing to do with the Word of God or not wanting to go to the Lord trusting in Him in prayer or neglecting to come together with the body because of frustrations, because of waiting. Or if I come together with the body, I'm here, but not all there because the Lord has me waiting, and I'm struggling under that waiting, and I don't want to be faithful. I don't want to persevere. I don't want to exhibit patience. But what we see with Joseph as he is assigned the task of caring for these two officers, he's assigned this task because Joseph continues to do what the Lord has called him to do. And he's exhibiting character and maturity in the faith and his faith and trust in the Lord. 
as he faithfully cares for these two prisoners. We have a lot to learn from Joseph. And circumstances that are outside of our control, which we find are many in life, and circumstances outside of our control, when we find ourselves waiting on the Lord to work in the midst of those circumstances and bring about change, we are called to be faithful, to be patient, to be obedient to Him, not to run and not to withdraw and not to be angry and discontent, but rather to go to the Lord, trusting in the Lord and depending upon the Lord all the more. That's exactly what Joseph does. So as he cares for them, we see that again in verse 4, some time passes while they're in his custody. Some time passes. Verses 5 through 10, we see the dreams that come uh, to, the, to the two officers, to the cupbearer and to the baker. So one night in verse 5, they both dream two different dreams with two different interpretations. So Joseph comes to them in the morning, and he sees that they're troubled. And he asks, well, what's going on? Why are you troubled? They're troubled because they have these dreams, and no one is there to interpret them. There's no one in the prison. There's no one around them can, that can interpret the dreams. And so Joseph responds, do not interpretations belong to God? Please tell them to me. So what Joseph here is doing, and he's, he's not saying interpretations belong to God. I am in the place of God. I can give these interpretations. But rather, what Joseph is doing is he's continuing to do what he has been doing, is that he is trusting that the Lord will reveal to him, the Lord will give the word uh, that he needs to be able to speak to them. He's not in the place of God, but rather he is continuing to trust and put his faith in the word of God. Do not interpretations belong to God? Please, speak them to me. I'll tell you what's going on. Now, we might look at Joseph and we might say, Joseph, you are obviously not the guy to be interpreting dreams. You've had two dreams interpret, or given to you already. You would rise to prominence. Your brothers would bow to you. And not only your brothers, but then your father as well. And here you are imprisoned. And you're volunteering, you're volunteering to be interpreting people's dreams, thinking that you can give a dream. And we might look at Joseph and see that that's his past. And I might not want to go to Joseph to have him interpret my dreams. He doesn't seem to have a good track record. Yet, they're troubled, and they have nowhere else to go. So, as we are living life, and we, are, we know the word of the Lord, one of the things that we often see in the midst of us knowing the Lord and having a word from the Lord and living our lives based upon the Scriptures is what we see that God tells us in here is not oftentimes what we see and experience. Joseph is displaying his faith and trust in the revelations and word from the Lord. And he is saying, I can deliver you this interpretation because who the Lord is and what the Lord will say. And I trust in his word, despite what Joseph is experiencing, despite what Joseph is seeing, despite what Joseph is living in. What he is living in and experiencing and seeing does not match up with the word, does not match up with what has been given to him. Yet, he displays faith. We see this throughout Scripture. Look in the New Testament. We can look at the early church and the word that they have been given. Words like from Romans chapter 8, In Christ Jesus, you are more than conquerors. Yet they suffer. They're imprisoned. They're killed for their faith. And in fact, the word that the early church has been delivered, it looks like that word is actually not true. It looks like they've bought into the wrong word. 
It looks like they should have heard the word of Jesus Christ and ran the other way and put their faith and trust in another word because it doesn't look true. It does not look experientially true. So what do we do in our lives? Scripture actually prepares us for this. In John 15 through 17, Jesus works through this issue. Jesus prepares his people for suffering. Jesus gives his people a word for them in the midst of their suffering that they can hang on to, that they can base their lives upon, and it actually prepares them to suffer. Go read John 15 through 17. This is what Jesus teaches. Being in Christ is like a two-sided coin. On one side of the coin, Jesus teaches in those chapters is this, is that because we live in a fallen and broken world, if we are in Christ Jesus, we will suffer. We will suffer. We will face persecution of various kinds and degrees. At the least, we will, until the day we die, war against the flesh that's within us. And we will suffer against what we find even in ourselves. Even in ourselves. That's part of what it means to be in Christ. But in the, on the other side of that coin, though, this is what Jesus teaches us in the midst of our suffering. On the other side of the coin is this. Being in Christ may mean suffering, persecution, and warring against the flesh. But at the same time, being in Christ means that we enjoy all the blessings of being in Christ. Which means this. Jesus teaches us this. So if it's too good to be true, take it up with Jesus. Just as the Father loves the Son, so we can enjoy the love of the Father just as the Father loves the Son, so we too can come to love the Father as the Son loves the Father. How is that possible? It's because of the Holy Spirit within us. As He sanctifies us, making us look more and more like Jesus Christ. And so we come to enjoy the love of the Father. And we come to enjoy the love of the Son all in the communion of the Holy Spirit and what the Holy Spirit is doing in our lives as we base our lives upon the Word. So, is what is said in the Scriptures, does it always look to be experientially true? No. But the Word prepares us for that. The Word tells us that that will be our experience in this lifetime. But this is the only Word worth, worth building our lives upon. This is the only word that gives us hope and peace and joy and ultimate true salvation and deliverance in Jesus Christ. And it tells us, it gives us and what God has revealed to him and what God has spoken to him, even though it does not look to be experientially true. And so here the prisoners are, they're troubled, and Joseph goes to them because he trusts in the Lord, not in his experiences, not in what he's going through. The other thing we need to make note of is the prisoners themselves. The two prisoners, these Egyptians, they are troubled. They're downcast because there is no one to be found to interpret their dreams to them. They are troubled by what's going on in their lives, and no one has an answer for them, except two, Joseph the man of the Lord. 
We live in a fallen and broken world, and we live amongst people. We work amongst people. We live next to people who are troubled. The world is filled with troubled people, and they're turning every which way to find answers, to find hope, to find peace. Whether it's the latest blog that's been written to try and answer the deepest questions of life or the, the best-selling self-help book or the latest fad to, to change your appearance or to get more money in the bank account. None of those things can provide the security and the peace that people so desperately crave while living in a troubled world. And so people are troubled, and where will they go? Where will they turn? It should be us, right? Because we have the one word that they need, the only word that can actually save and deliver and provide hope and stability in the midst of trouble. So here we, all, here we are, as Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, as ambassadors living in a foreign land, living in a troubled and hostile world. And we are ambassador, ambassadors with a message, with a word. We have a word that brings peace, life and salvation from the true king who is reigning. Jesus is reigning, and one day he will come to reign in full, and he will do away with all that troubles us for his people. And as we live amongst people who are troubled and have no answers, we can be people who bring the good news, who can bring those answers, who can bring the word of the Lord to them, which means what? We better know that word, right? We better know that word. Our lives better be built upon it. Here's the issue, though. I myself, I am troubled so often with worries, anxieties, sorrows, insecurities, and with sin within what do we do when we ourselves are troubled? That's, that's part of the beauty of this right here. One of the things that God has blessed us with and calling us into his body, into the body of Christ Jesus, is that we are members of one another and the Holy Spirit delights to work within us. And one of the things that the Holy Spirit is doing as he works within us, as we gather in person, in flesh, as we sit next to people, we bump up against people, we build relationships with people who are troubled and who are struggling as well. But we also get to know people and see people and build relationships with people who have been through trials, who have been through sufferings, who, who have experienced sorrows that we can't even imagine, and the Lord has brought them through it. And we as Paul says in Galatians chapter 6, we come together in the body. We gather during this time. We give our lives to one another to carry one another's burdens, thus fulfilling the law of Christ. Meaning this, when we come together, we actually let others carry our burdens. And that helps fulfill the law of Christ. And when we come together, we help carry the burdens of others around us. And that helps fulfill the law of Christ. We are troubled people, but we have the word of the Lord 
we have the working of the Spirit, and we have the body of Christ and the fellowship of the saints. What encouragement there is to be found in Christ. And so as we live in and with and amongst troubled people, that's the hope that we can, we can share with them, that we can give them, that we can point to. Yes, we're troubled. Yes, we suffer. Yes, we're waiting on the Lord. But this, we have one another. Verses 9 through 19, we see the interpretation of the two dreams. So there's two dreams, two different interpretations. The first dream, we see the cupbearer. He would have his head lifted up, and his office would be restored. He would again place the cup in Pharaoh's hand. So Joseph, seeing an opportunity here, hey, this guy's about to go back to Pharaoh. Remember me. Remember me. I was stolen out of the land of the Hebrews, sold into slavery, and I have unjustly been put in prison. Remember me when you are restored. The second dream, we see this. The baker, actually what we see in verse 16, before we even see the interpretation of the dream, notice, notice what the baker, how the baker's kind of thinking through his issue of his being troubled and how he's going to deal with that. Verse 16, when the chief baker saw that the interpretation was favorable, then he goes to Joseph. John Calvin, in his commentary on Genesis 40, he says this, only whenever he sees that the interpretation was favorable of the first dream does the baker want to go to Joseph. I find it telling that we ourselves and so many people in the world, we are ready and willing to hear a word from the Lord, to hear what the Lord would say to us in Scripture, as long as it is favorable to us. As long as it's favorable to us. But then as soon as that word becomes unfavorable, or as soon as we see the one who is speaking that word, well, I'd rather not have anything to do with that. And you've you got to think the baker gets this interpretation and would rather have just not known at this point. So now he waits three days until he will be hung, until his head is removed, until he is put to death. So two dreams and two interpretations. One is a good, favorable outcome. The cupbearer will be restored. The baker, he will be put to death. Life and death. Joseph, despite the difficult of this latter message, of the latter dream, of the baker being put to death, he faithfully delivers the message. And he doesn't soften the blow, right? He doesn't soften the blow. Your head will be restored, or your head will be lifted up from you. Yeah, not a lot of tact there, but he's honest, and he delivers the message faithfully. Despite Joseph's own difficult circumstances and suffering, he speaks the truth in the first interpretation. When it's favorable for someone else, he still speaks God's Word and what the Lord would reveal to him. We ourselves are deliverers of news. To some, Paul teaches, to some who hear the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ, it will be a message of life or it will be a message of death. 1 Corinthians 1, 18 says this, For the word of, cross, of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. 2 Corinthians 2, 14 through 17, Paul teaches this. But thanks be to God who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of Him everywhere. 
For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one a fragrance from death to death, and to the other a fragrance from life to life. Who is sufficient for these things? For we are not like so many peddlers of God's word, but as men of sincerity, as commissioned by God in the sight of God, we speak in Christ. We are those who have and are bringing good news. To some, that will be a message. It will be news of life. And they will rejoice to hear it. And we will be able to share in the joy of delivering that good news to them and having it received with joy. But to those who are perishing, it will stink in their nostrils. It won't be good news. It will be news of death. Why? It's news of a Savior, but it's also news of a King. And to some, they don't want to relinquish the vain pursuit of passions and desires, exchanging the glory of created things for the glory of a Creator. They don't want to give that up. They don't want someone to have authority over them. They don't want to have to submit their lives to someone else. And so it's a message of death. To some, a message of life. To some, a message of death. Joseph is faithful to speak a message of life and a message of death to these two in prison. No matter the joy or the difficulty of the message, he speaks it faithfully. We are called to be people who speak that good news with the world around us. No matter how difficult, no matter the great joys or the great sorrows that may come and frustrations, mocking and scorn. Because we don't just have good advice about how to live, but we have good news about what God has done, about what God is doing, and about what God will do. It is news. It is reality. It's what's going on. And so we must be faithful to deliver that news, no matter the difficulty. In verses 20 through 23, we see, of course, that the dreams are confirmed. So on the third day, which was Pharaoh's birthday, he made a feast for all his servants and lifted up the head of the chief cupbearer and the head of the chief baker among his servants. He restored the chief cupbearer to his position And he placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand, but he hanged the chief baker as Joseph had interpreted to them. So, the dreams are confirmed. We see there at the end of verse 23, I forgot to read, yet the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. So the dreams are confirmed. The cupbearer goes off. He's good to go, but he forgets Joseph. And Joseph, of course, as we know, would continue in prison for some time after he's been in prison for some time, continuing to wait upon the Lord, continuing to suffer unjustly for something that he did not do. Joseph remains forgotten. So the questions that we we asked earlier, why does the Lord allow his people to suffer? Why does the Lord allow his people to wait? If God is going to prosper Joseph, why not do that outside the prison walls? Wouldn't it be better for God's plan to have his man outside of a prison and prospering and increasing? Wouldn't that make more sense for the Lord? Wouldn't it be better for Joseph's well-being to be outside of a prison, prospering and increasing? So why couldn't it be brought out? 
Why does the Lord seem content to prosper Joseph in his suffering and in his waiting? So however seemingly slow or even just not involved at all, the Lord is working. The Lord is working. While others have forgotten Joseph, the Lord has not. He continues to work, and currently He is working to shape His man and refine His man for the greater responsibilities that will be given to Him. We met Joseph in chapter 37, remember, as a young, self-centered man, but we will see Joseph grow in to be arguably one of the, one of the uh, men with the most integrity, most character by the end of this. So the Lord is shaping and refining. The Lord sees fit to actually prosper His people, prosper Joseph, and actually prosper us in our suffering and in our waiting, not just outside of it, even though that is what we would prefer. Listen to what Job says in Job 23 as he wrestles with, with knowing whether God is present, whether the Lord is working, or whether the Lord has forgotten him in the midst of his suffering. This is Job 23, 8-10. Behold, I go forward, but he is not there, and backward, but I do not perceive him. On the left hand, when he is working, I do not behold him. He turns to the right hand, but I do not see him. But he knows the way that I take. When he has tried me, I shall come out as gold. Job does not perceive the Lord's working in the midst of his suffering. He feels alone. Yet Job knows that despite what he perceives, he knows that God is near and God is working. And Job knows that when he is done being tried, the Lord will bring him out as gold. Pastor theologian Ray Ortland, in an article addressing young pastors and the trials that will come and how God uses trials to shape young pastors to, better, to be better ministers, he speaks to this in a way that I actually think is good for all of us. I want to read this quote. In our foolishness, we all want to be formidable, impressive, noteworthy, with superpowers to wow the world. But how can men like that preach Christ crucified? Listen to this. Only men with scars can preach a Savior with scars to sinners with scars. So in addition to the many insights and skills God will impart to you, He will also wound you. A.W. Tozer wisely said, It is doubtful whether God can bless a man greatly until he has hurt him deeply. Ortland continues, At some point in your life, God will injure you so extremely that the self-reliance you aren't even aware of, the self-reliance you've been navigating so consistently by that it feels natural and innocent, will collapse under the loss and anguish. You will start realizing, oh, this is what it means to trust the Lord. I need Him now with an urgency, a desperation, a seriousness of purpose deeper than ever before. And then God will come through for you, and you will emerge from that suffering a deeper saint. Joseph, we see in Scripture, he is formidable. He is a favored young man with abilities to apparently wow those around him. Yet the Lord would try him. 
he would take him through the valley of the shadow of death and there cause Joseph not to trust in his abilities, his position, his favored status, but to trust on the Lord and on the Lord alone. I love God, but I am mixed up. I am fleshly. I am prone to wander. And so the Lord will discipline, refine, take me through the valley. The Lord will do to me and do to His people. He will, he will give, He will bring us through places where we receive scars so that, one, we can preach and speak to people with scars, but also so that we can preach of a Savior with scars. As we sang earlier, mine are tears in times of sorrow, darkness not yet understood. Through the valley I must travel where I see no earthly good. But mine is peace that flows from heaven and the strength in times of need. I know my pain will not be wasted. Why? Christ completes His work in me. So does God care for us in our waiting and our suffering? Does He care for Joseph? Of course He does. Has He forgotten us when others have? Of course not. He Himself would be scarred as He would come to, come to us to deal with our sin. The very thing that keeps us from God the Father, Jesus would come and deal with that sin. He would suffer on our behalf. The only perfect and righteous one who has ever walked this earth would suffer, and he would suffer infinitely more than we could ever imagine. Of course he cares about us. Of course he hasn't forgotten us. His desire is for us to be less like the flesh and be more like Jesus. So for those of us who are his, God will prosper us. And he will prosper us in the midst of suffering, in the midst of waiting. What is key for us is how we will respond. Will we pull away from the Lord as we wait? Will we pull away from the Lord as we suffer? Will we leave the word behind? Will we forget and neglect prayer? Will we disconnect from the body? Or will the Lord see us and find us being just like Joseph here in Genesis chapter 40? Being patient, faithful, obedient to Him, committed and founded upon God's Word, no matter what His experiences look like. Some of you in this room, you are still living according to the Word of the world. You are still trying to find your salvation, your peace in the midst of troubles, your life, your joys, your happiness in the things of the world. And at every turn, you still find yourself troubled. My encouragement, my plea with you today is that you would turn from the word of the world and hear the word of God and turn and repent of your sin, placing your faith and trust in a Savior 
who is scarred and who is scarred for his people. Some of us in this room, most of us in this room, we are God's people. And maybe we aren't going through suffering and trials. Maybe we're not in a period of time where we're waiting, but we are around people who are constantly. My prayer for all of us is that we would commit ourselves first and foremost to the Lord and His Word because it is our only sure foundation. Our only sure foundation. And secondly, because we will struggle with doing that, Secondly, that we would commit ourselves to meeting together, to being together, that we could commit ourselves to one another, to carrying the burdens of the people next to us and allowing our burdens to be carried, thus fulfilling and bringing about the love of Jesus Christ, that we would know it all the more deeply. The Lord desires to prosper his people in the midst of suffering and waiting. He is strong enough and wise enough to do so. What great encouragement we have. May we be faithful. May we be patient. May we be obedient to him even in those long and lengthy times of suffering and waiting, knowing we are in him. He is growing us in him all the time and he will prosper us. Let's pray. Most Holy Father, we thank you for this time that you have blessed us with to come and sing your truth, sing about the realities of the gospel, sing about the realities of who you are, the realities of who you are and what you have done, what you are doing, and what you will do. We thank you that we come and serve and praise and worship a risen king who is enthroned above all. Our sufferings, our troubles, our circumstances, they are not enthroned. You are. And so we thank you and praise you for that, and we pray that you would give us eyes to see that more clearly. Pray that you would powerfully be at work continuing to use your word to shape us to look more and more like Jesus, your son. We pray all of this in your name. Amen. Amen. And as we continue to wait upon the Lord for him to perfect us in heaven, let's praise him. Amen. Let's stand and close uh, with a wonderful song of praise. To God be the glory.
God bless you. You're dismissed.